Well, good morning again. You guys doing good? You guys awake? You guys do something out of the ordinary to remember and uh, reflect on 9-11 yesterday? You guys do something? Yes? Um, I'm so glad Daniel brought that up. There's just, there's, I don't know about you, but there's so many range of emotions and thoughts uh, went through my head just remembering where I physically was uh, 20 years ago and watching that on the TV and just the disbelief and just all that, that 20 year ago event um, took place in that one day, but what's happened over the last 20 years and then what's going on right now in the news, and I don't make, make this a political thing, but just that our thoughts and our emotions can just be stirred. And I want to talk to you a little bit today about some of that. I want to talk to you things. There's a lot in my heart today, and I feel like the Lord has a, a central theme, but I feel like there's things that God wants to, to pinpoint things that are in your heart and your mind that you might be um, having, uh, whether they're heavy, whether there's joy, whatever, whatever's going on in your life, that the Lord wants to speak to each one of us. And um, yeah, that's my goal. Is that, that's one of my prayers, that the Holy Spirit would take my message and he would tailor make it for each one of you that you would hear the word of the Lord. I, I, I quote things very often every Sunday, and this is another one that says, comes out of my mouth often, is that we live uh, not by bread alone, right? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I believe the Lord is speaking to us. And, and in this time, sometimes we have ears a little bit more are attuned to hear because we're asking, God, what is going on? God, what can we do? What can I do? That's been some of my prayers these last several weeks that we've been spending these last several Wednesdays taking a time of praying and fasting over just what's going on in the world. Afghanistan, uh, things going on with abortion, uh, things going on with hurricanes and fires. There's just been a lot going on um, around the nation, around the world, around our own personal lives. And just taking that time to realize I need to seek the Lord. I need not just to figure it out in my own mind. God, what can I do? How, what is my role? And um, I've said this on Wednesdays a couple of times. I think I said it on a Sunday, but I just, I'm going to keep saying it. I heard a pastor say it, and when he said it, it was like, you know how sometimes you read scripture, things are like on neon lights? And this is like when the pastor said it. I listen to a lot of sermons, and I listen to Christian radio, so there's a lot of things. I'm getting good influence all the time, but this was one that was like, boom, yep, like that's important, yep, right there, neon lights. Um, and I think some of you can finish off the quote for me because I've said it a couple of times already. But this is a season where the church, the American church, needs to get off of the cruise ship and get onto the battleship. battleship. That is where we're at right now. That, that that was part of what happened in 9-11. It was an awakening, right? There was evil in the world, and we were insulated in America. And that was something that just opened our eyes. There is a lot of evil going on. And what are we doing to fight evil? And so that's the idea. The American church, 20 years later, I am guilty of saying, oh, well, the military, the government's going to take care of the evil. That's their job. Yeah, laughing, because that's not their job. That's up to the church, right? It doesn't say, Scripture doesn't say that the government will crush the deeds of darkness. No, it's the church. It's the body of Christ. And so I just, this is, that's a theme that is just in me right now, and that's going to come out in my message a little bit. But I just feel like there's, what are we to do? And so just... In the, the heels of all this news, all the things going on, God, what can I do? And, I, and this morning, I, I, I titled this morning's message several different things. And, and one of it um, was The Cure. Or um, just, I don't know, I had, I had different titles. And I, I finally landed on this and just, I think, it maybe just more classic and will fit for people that maybe listen to this message later on. Um, but it's the power of praise and testimony. And I almost titled it, Our Answer is in 9-11. And not in the event of 9-11 yesterday, 
but in a verse that God highlighted to me in Psalm 911. What are you to do? I'll tell you it's in 911. What is our response? What does it look like? The answer is in Psalm 911. And before I get there, we're gonna, I'll have it on the slide. You can get your Bible ready if you want to look at make sure I'm quoting the right thing. Um, but uh, I'll have everything for you as well. I just was thinking, I don't want to get into politics too much uh, from the platform, but there's a lot going on. Uh, in California, we are going to be voting uh, for a new governor, hopefully. Or you can recall or not recall, and I'm just going to tell you where I stand on that. You can't tell from my last statement. Um, I, am, I am so pro-life that I will do anything I can to have someone that I can vote for to be pro-life. So I, I do feel like that is part of a pastor's job is to let you know you should be voting for pro-life. Um, and so you can, there's lots of people that you can choose from if you to choose to recall our current governor. Um, and I'll tell you who I voted for, but I won't tell you who you should vote for. Um, but that's something, and I just was thinking about that. I just, my mind has been thinking about things going on in the world, things going on in our nation, things going on here in California. And, and this thought came to my mind. You guys, uh, some questions. So what is... The richest nation in the world? The U.S. Still, China is increasingly getting closer to us, but we still are. We have been for a long time. China is the, the most prosperous, wealthiest nation. Out of all 50 states in the United States of America, which state is the most wealthy state? California. California. So you probably know after my questions already. Out of all the counties in California, which one has the highest GDP, the most Money being created. Los Angeles County. Even more than Silicon Valley. You live, you and I, we live in the wealthiest nation, in the wealthiest state in that nation, in the wealthiest city, county in that state. And there's some humbling words that Jesus says. He says this in Matthew 19.24. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. It's easy for me to read verses like that and say, well, I'm not rich. Like, I don't have millions of dollars. I'm very rich. Most of us in this room, whether we like it or not, are probably in the top 1% wealthiest of the entire world. If you have money, if you have any kind of money in a bank account and you have extra clothes in a closet, you're in the top 3% richest people in the world. Um, so you're there, whether you think you're wealthy or not. And, and it's just sobering to know that Jesus is saying, it's difficult for us. America has been blessed. We are prosperous. As a church, the American church, man, we are so comfortable on a cruise ship. And I just feel like the Lord is, is trying to wake us up. Are you going to keep relying on a government, on a military, or is the church actually going to get into the battleship? This was not even the title of my morning's message, but there's just, it's so many things that are connected in. I just felt like I had to share this. Like I said, I have probably five sermons in my heart right now. Um, but I love that in Matthew 19.24, Jesus didn't mince his words. He's speaking the truth. It's going to be difficult for you and me in this room to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I don't mean that just to get salvation to go to heaven. As you heard this pastor say, my goal is not just to get all of you to heaven. My goal is for you to bring heaven on earth. My goal is for us to figure out what it looks like to live in the kingdom here and now. 
Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. And how are we doing that? And so for me, I know I'm saved. I am confident I'm going to heaven. My, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I know where I'm headed. But I'm not always confident that I'm walking every day of my life in the kingdom. And some of it is because I live a comfortable, blessed, good life. And it becomes difficult to walk in the kingdom of heaven when you're rich. Jesus isn't mentioning his words. So he's saying, if things are going well with you, if things you are living in America, living in California, living in Los Angeles County, guess what? It's going to be harder for you to be on the battleship. So we've got to, with increased intentionality and purpose and focus, like, okay, no, I'm in a battle. Every day, I'm in a battle. And I love that Jesus not only doesn't mince his words and says it like it is, just speaks the truth in love, this somewhat harsh tone. It's going to be hard. And the disciples in the next verse are like, oh my goodness, we're all done for. It's impossible, Jesus. None of us can follow you. But in the very next verse, Psalm 19, 26, he says, you're right. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. I needed to hear that. I need to hear both verses. I need to be reproved by the word of God where he says, Ryan, wake up, get on the battlefield. But then also when I begin to pray, I'm not praying apathetic, oh, I can't do anything. I'm just one man. I'm not in government. I'm not in politics. How can I change what the president does? How can I do that? I can't do any of that. And he's like, no, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In the natural, I shared this on Wednesday night, looking at statistics about the American church, it's not very encouraging to read those statistics of where we, this path we've been on. But I remind myself of scripture. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. But with God, there can be a billion soul harvest. But with God, I can do my part and let God do his part. See, I love this. I, I love that God is, is not afraid to take on the bigger role, but he still invites us to do something. So how do we do it? What is, what is your role? What are we to do? What is the cure for the American church? What is the cure to turn things around in America? What is the cure to stop evil, right? To have more TSA workers in the airport, to have more, I'm not saying these are wrong things to do, but I'm just saying, what is the cure? It's not throwing more money at a problem. It's not getting more government involvement. It's actually church involvement. You and I involvement. That's the cure. So then, okay, I'm my involvement. What does that look like? So let's find out. We're going to look at David a lot this morning. In Psalm 9:11. So this is it. 9:11. The answer is in 9:11. Psalm 9:11 says this. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. I've read this verse tons of times. He says David says this often all throughout the Psalms. Sing to God, declare his mighty works. We, I sang songs growing up as a kid saying this, but I felt like there was an anointing on it. There was something for it, this 9-11. It's not by happenstance that this verse happened to find itself in chapter 9, verse 11. Praise and testimony. Praise and testimony. Daniel said it during worship. Praise is a weapon. Praise brings breakthrough. Praise shifts, shifts things, changes things. I see, I love that it says, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. I was thinking about that. Who dwells in Zion? Zion can mean God's holy hill. 
Sing praise to God who's high above it all. As we begin to sing praises to him, we recognize that his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. That he's actually sitting outside of time and space. That he is not anxious or weary. That he's not, con- he's not overly concerned. He's got a plan. History is his story. He can step in and do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He is ultimately sovereign. That brings me some peace when I worship him in his holy hill. I'm like, oh, wait, God's on the throne. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. As we worship him, it does something inside of me. It not only pushes back the the darkness, the enemy, it does something inside of me. It changes my attitude. It changes my perspective. It changes my thought life. And I was thinking about that. It could be not only in Zion, meaning his holy hill, outside of time and space. David could be writing this as, no, Zion, meaning like where I live in Jerusalem, meaning where the temple is going to be, meaning where Abraham went and met with God, meaning where Moses met with God, meaning this, this Mount Moriah, Zion, that God is here on earth. He is Emmanuel. David is great. We're going to look at this some more. David is extremely prophetic. He's a king. He is a prophet. It says in scripture, he's a prophet. And he says so many things prophetically. And so this is a thousand years before Jesus is on the scene. David is saying, sing praises to God who dwells with man. Jesus says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. These are comforting, assuring words that we can walk through a valley. David wrote this, right? We can walk through a valley of shadow death and we will fear no evil. Why is that? Because he's with us. That's his next words. He's with me. David is aware of this. He's aware of this. And I love that David, see, he's got this praise going on, but then he says the next thing, testimony. See, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion, right? And then declare his deeds among the people. He's saying testimony is important. Testifying of what God has already done is so important. Having a history with God and seeing his faithfulness is important. Hmm. Again, thinking about David a lot. One of the most famous stories of David, right, would be David and Goliath. Probably the most famous story. I love that when David went to go fight Goliath, he recalled his history. He brought up his testimony. This big nine, almost 10 foot guy, I can take him down. Why do you think you little David, this little boy, why do you think? Because I've killed a bear and a lion. He's recalling the testimony. God already helped me. He'll help me again. God helped me do something that was supernatural. He'll be supernatural again. You see, I love There's so much in that, in that testimony. David learned to fight giants when he was all alone. Before he ever fought Goliath on a public battlefield. There were giants in David's own personal life that he had to conquer first. Read the story of David. As a little boy, it sounds like most scholars agree that he probably was, this is a harsh word to say, but it says in Scripture, a bastard son. He was, his mom had his brothers, but his dad must have had David with a mistress. 
And that's why when Samuel comes and to, to his dad's house, Jesse, one of your boys is going to be an anointed king. David says, oh, let me bring out all my sons before you. No, it's none of these. Do you have another son? Oh, yeah, that other guy on the field. I'm trying to hide him. I don't want everyone to know he's my son. Talk about giants in his own personal life. Missing the approval of his own father. See, he had a battle. You look at David, read every story about David. This kid didn't lack confidence. He never lacked confidence. I don't know that he was born that way. Maybe. But his upbringing, it wouldn't have come from that. All alone by himself in a field with just sheep as an outcast. He had to fight those emotions and those thoughts. God, I am who you say I am. God, I know you love me. Right? He says in Psalm 51, in sin, my mother and father conceived me. But it doesn't mean I'm an outcast, God. It doesn't mean that you, I'm pushed to the wayside, that I'm a nobody. He had to fight his own personal demons before he ever fought Goliath. And then those personal demons, then he had to fight an enemy that was coming against his flock. He was responsible for sheep long before he was ever a king responsible for people. He had whatever he, whatever stewardship he had, he said, it's my job to protect it against the enemy. He recognized that he was on a battlefield. From day one, there's a battlefield going on in my mind, in my heart, in my soul, and I've got to be on my A game every day to be on battle for myself. Oh, I'm in charge of sheep? I've got to be on my A game every single day. There might be a lion. There might be a bear. I've got to be watching. I've got to be ready and prepared. So David had a history. He created his own history, his own testimony of fighting all his internal demons, now protecting sheep. So now when it comes to leaving his sheep and going to the battlefield and seeing Goliath, oh, wait a second, it's the same thing. It's not sheep. It's now there's a giant trying to come against people. And David, I love the story of David. He's recalling all this history throughout the story. We can just kind of read David and Goliath and we get to the good part, right? You come against me with sword and spear, I come against you in the name of the Lord. We love that part, which I love. That's the, like the climax. But leading up to that climax, David is going through his history. He's going through his testimony. He's realizing before I can fight a battle for somebody else, I've got to know how to fight my own battles. He's, he's recalling, wait a second. If you read the story, it talks about where the valley was. Why is that important that they're recording? Holy Spirit thought it was important. Let's record where this battle took place. It took place in the land that belonged to the tribe of Judah. David was from the tribe of Judah. And David's like, wait a second. There's the enemy on my property, on my land. I mean, this is little David. He's got a, a little field to take care of sheep. But he recognized, wait, no, Judah, that's, that's mine. That's my territory. America, that belongs to me. That's my land. There's an enemy on my land? Oh, no, no not on my watch. See, I, I know how to steward the enemy that comes against me personally. I know how to take care of my own family household. And if anything comes into my city, into my state, into my nation, oh, no, no. I don't care how big the giant is. He can be a 10-foot giant. He can be a principality that's been in this nation for 100 years. I don't care. This is my land. 
We can be in the most wealthy city, in the most wealthy state, in the most wealthy country. Oh, it's too difficult to, to have revival in L.A. No. I, I want a warrior like David mentality and attitude in us, in myself. Wait a second. No. If God did it for David, he can do it for me. Amen. See, I love Psalm 9-11. It wasn't a suggestion. It's a command. David is writing this as a command. He says, sing to the Lord a new song. He's telling other people what to do. He's telling you and me what to do. He's being bold. If you want to know what to do, sing. If you don't know what to do, start thinking of the goodness of God and start testifying of what God has already done. He's given us a command. This is what you do. And he has weight behind this command because he's not telling other people to do what he hasn't done himself first. If you go back to verse 1, let's read it. Psalm 9.1. David says this in Psalm 9.1. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. It starts here. Before we pray for a governor that knows what he's doing and a president who knows what he's doing, why don't we start praying, God, I will praise you. I will testify of your good works. Revival always starts the one. I am believing for a national world revival. But it's got to start somewhere. And I'm saying, Lord, let it start here. Revive me, O oh Lord. Change the way I think. Change my attitude. And I was looking. I, man, like I said, I got too much stuff to try to preach all in one Sunday. But Psalm 9 is just packed full of stuff. And I think all I can get to right now is I, I highlight a little bit of Psalm 911, a little bit of verse 1. I'm going to go back even further, at least in my Bible. How do you get further back than Psalm 9-1? My Bible has a title. <laughs> of what this psalm is. Now, I don't know if your Bible does or not. My Bible says this. It's, it's, the, it's the title of this song. To the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son, a psalm of David. I was like, interesting. That's what David described this song, Death of the Son? And so I had to look into that. I was like, okay, what does that mean, Death of the Son? And so in the Hebrew, um, it means muth um, laban, that helps everybody, right? Moth Laban, um, which some scholars might say, well, maybe it's, it's like an instrument. Maybe it doesn't mean like death of a son. Maybe it's like a, an instrument that David used, and so it's like to be played with this certain kind of instrument. Maybe it, they had all kinds of speculations. But I, I looked up all kinds of things, and I, I landed on three that I really liked. So I'm going to share with you these three. First one is some scholars apply to this title as the ancient Chaldee version does. I don't even know what the ancient Chaldee version is, but that's what they're talking about. They say it refers to this. Concerning the death of the champion who went out between the camps, referring to Goliath. Perhaps David wrote this psalm remembering the victory over Goliath from the vantage point of many years after that triumph. That this is David well into running a kingdom years, decades later. He's writing this song because running a nation is not easy. Being in charge, being responsible, having other people that you have to make difficult decisions for is not easy. And so he's remembering, wait a second. God defeated Goliath 40 years ago. He can do it again right now in this situation. 
where it just seems like the political climate is just ugly and heavy. Talk about political corruption and difficulty. Read the story of David. His own sons tried to have a coup and kick him out and kill him. Political got ugly in David's lifetime. We think we have it bad in America. I don't know. It was pretty bad in David's day. And in the midst of a political trial, in the midst of national turmoil, David's like, wait a second. I don't care how big this principality is. I don't care the spiritual host of wickedness that are against me. God, you defeated Goliath. You're going to do it again. It's this psalm, I will praise you in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of I don't know what to do and I'm not equipped, God. I'm just going to praise you. And I'm going to testify of what you did before. And you're faithful and you're trustworthy. And I can put my hope in you. Not a wishy-washy hope, but a strong confidence. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I am hopeful. No, I am confidently hopeful that what God did for David, he's going to do it again. See, I, I love this, this idea of, there's a scripture in Revelation. That the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's something about when I read the Gospels, when I read what Jesus did, it's the testimony of Jesus' life, his three years of ministry. When I read the testimony of Jesus, it's the spirit of prophecy. It's saying, Jesus, you're going to do everything I did and even more is what Jesus said. And I look at my life and I'm like, yeah, but realistically, I'm not doing half or maybe 1% of what Jesus did. And then reason and logic start coming in. Well, yeah, I'm not the son of God. And, all these other, and I'm like, wait a second, no. I'm going to testify that what Jesus did, it's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead that dwells in you and me. Oh. So I should have a mentality. When Jesus raised people from the dead, when I see people, wait a second. Jesus prayed and people came back to life. Maybe I can do the same thing too that we begin to change the way we think about problems. Wait a second. There's a testimony. All of God's word is a testimony. The testimony of Jesus' word is a spirit of prophecy. That means what he did for Moses, he's going to do it for me. I, I'm telling you, I, I've read Isaiah 61 a zillion times. I was like, I preached that thing for a whole year, the first year I became the pastor here. Like, I've owned that chapter for so long, but reading it with those fresh new perspective, I'm like, wait a second. That's what Jesus did. Jesus read what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah was the one that said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Isaiah, and has anointed me, Isaiah, to preach good news to the poor. And what did Jesus do? Wait, the testimony of Isaiah? That's my testimony. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me and has anointed me. And so I'm like, wait a second. That's Jesus' prophecy. That's my prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Ryan. And he's anointed me. It's one of those things of finding the testimony in God's word and saying, that's for here and now. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to testify that this is going to change. The enemy is not going to be victorious. Amen. What happened to Goliath is going to happen again. Yeah. So that's the first one of just the title of this Psalm. But that's what some scholars might think. I'll tell you the first thing that came to my mind, not that I'm a scholar, but the first thing that came to my mind when I read Death of a Son, and I'm thinking about David and his life, he had the death of a son. And the death of that son was a baby. 
And why did that baby die? Because of David's sin. That young boy was innocent. But David's sin caused the death of Bathsheba's son. David killed Uriah. I mean, it's a horrible. We're talking about David. He's this incredible example. And yet at the same time, he's this example of when things go horribly wrong. What if that is the title and the meaning of why David wrote this song? In the midst of wallowing in grief and shame because he murdered somebody and he committed adultery and he's not worthy to be the king, let alone a child of God. And he's dealing with all this emotional pain and the physical loss of his own son. He writes this psalm. Sing praises to the Lord who sits on Zion. I will not be silent. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God and bless the Lord, O my soul. These words of David have meaning. Sometimes it's not just joyous, happy-filled singing to the Lord. It's this sheer will. Like I talk about often, it's a willpower. David had control of his will. Everything in him said, don't even think you can get up off that floor and worship God. You're the last person on the face of the planet that should ever sing praises to God right now. The accuser of the brethren, are you t- he was the number one target in the world right then. All of the enemy was coming against David. I don't know what to think. In that season, in that moment, I can't imagine all the heaviness that was on him. And yet maybe in the midst of that heaviness, he writes this song. I will sing to the Lord. I will praise him. Maybe it wasn't even all the shame and guilt and sin of, his, of himself. Maybe he was just experiencing the loss. I thought about, he not only lost Bathsheba's son, he actually lost another son, an adult son. Absalom. Absalom was getting groomed to take over the kingdom. He was supposed to be the next king. And at Absalom becomes wicked and evil and tries to kill David and has this coup and takes over the throne. And David is fleeing, running for his life. And Absalom's taking over. And then we know the story of Absalom, right? He's running, he's got that nice long hair. Gets, he's getting chased, gets stuck in the, the branch, gets killed. Maybe he's writing this song, The Loss of Absalom. I just lost an adult son. I'm, not, I'm the dad. I'm not supposed to say goodbye to children. It's the midst of pain and loss. Evil coming against him. It wasn't his own doing. It was just evil that he couldn't do anything against. He did everything he could to love on this man, this boy. He invested in him, and yet evil came. And yet, what is his response? In the midst of evil seeming to win out, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise, again, are just going to continually come out of my mouth. Again, I, I quote it probably, like I said, I quote a lot of things often. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoicing might look like celebratory dancing up and down and singing with praise and exuberance. 
Or maybe it's this sheer will that nothing completely devoid of any energy, of any joy in his life, he's telling himself, soul, it's time to bless the Lord. It doesn't matter what I think or feel. This is what is required of me. And this is what I will do every day of my life. It's a pattern. I have a habit, as Daniel said, that it just becomes a habit. Oh, Lord, in the morning, I will direct my prayers. And unto thee will I will look up. I will lift my head and look up into the mountains. For where does my help come from? Right? This is David. He's writing all these psalms, singing praise to God. It can look different in different seasons. But it's always the right response. Testifying of God's goodness is always the right response. We have a plaque in our home and on our wall. It says there's always, 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 always something to be thankful for. I have that in my house on a physical wall. And I'll just be honest with you, the last couple of weeks, I'm just being real with you. The things going on in the news and things that I disagree with, I found myself complaining more than I've been thankful. And I feel the Lord is bringing this verse. It's the cure for my own anxiety, my own depression. Right? Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God and bless the Lord, O oh your soul. Oh. So if I'm discouraged, it has nothing to do with what the world is going on in the world. It all has to do with internally what I'm doing. If I'm downcast, it's because my response isn't praise and worship and declaring the goodness of God. It's no one else's fault. I can't find an excuse of why I'm discouraged. Well, I can try to find an excuse, but I'll tell you what my football coach always told me. I'll make it G-rated. Everyone's got excuses, right? Excuses are like, I'll say, armpits. Everyone's got them, but they all stink. You can think of maybe the not G-rated version. Um, We've all got them, but they all stink. If you're discouraged, I mean, this is like, can, can this be in the same tone of Jesus where he speaks the truth in love? If you're discouraged and depressed and have lost your hope, it's nobody else's fault. It's not your president's fault. It's not your governor's fault. It's not anybody else. It's not even your own biological mom or dad's fault. David figured that out early on. If you're discouraged, if you've lost hope, yeah, then own it. God, I have lost it, and I choose this day to bless your name. I choose to make my mouth filled with the goodness of God. So that's the second one, maybe just the definition of what it means, the song of the tune to the tune of the death of a son. But then let me give you a third one. As translated by Augustine, the early church father, the Hebrew is to the death of the son. But maybe not because of the things I just said. Because of David's sin with Bathsheba, which we talked about. The son born to them had to die. Not as a judgment upon the child, but a sacrifice to cleanse David of his sin. This was God's way of restoring David. A sinless son had to bear his guilt. This is a picture of Jesus. Like I said, David was prophetic. 
In so many ways, he was prophetic. Maybe, maybe in the midst of David praising and worshiping God after having lost his son, this prophetic thought comes into his mind. Just as this one sinless boy died for you, David, there's coming a Messiah, a sinless man who's going to die for the whole world. And his praise and worship took on a different tone. It wasn't, you already defeated Goliath. It wasn't in the midst of pain and sorrow. I'm just trying to eke out a praise and worship song to you. It was for the joy set before him. Oh God, you're able to redeem even the worst of my sins. You can take everything and all things and work them together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. That there is absolutely nothing I can do to separate myself from your love, oh God. That your love is so powerful that it can redeem the most vile and evil wickedness on this earth. And maybe it was actually with joy that David began to say, you've turned my mourning into dancing again. You've lifted my sorrows. I can't keep silence. I must sing for the joy of the Lord has come. That it wasn't just an exercise of sheer will. It wasn't trying to remember the past. It was this joy. I am expecting good things, God. That you are such a redeeming God. That my joy, my future is full of joy. My future is bright. That I can be like Paul. Maybe this one thing, I haven't attained everything. I'm not perfected in in, in most all ways. But this one thing, forgetting the past and allowing the past to drag me down. Pressing forward or towards the mark of the high calling of Christ Jesus. With joy, I can run the race with no sin easily ensnaring or entangling me. I am in an all hot out pursuit in passion for the things that God has for me. This praise and worship song becomes prophetic. Oh man, he didn't just redeem me and forgive me. I actually am a child of God and he's got plans and purposes for my life. There's a joy set before me that I should start praising God now for what's about to happen. David was so prophetic. He understood the power of praise and testimony. I I think about, just really quick, the prophetic... Acts of David, there's so many. That should be a a series we go through. But one of the things he did this coming Wednesday, we're going to do something a little different. It's going to be Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the Old Testament law, Moses, right? Leviticus, that book sometimes we skip over. It talks about all the rules and regulations of how to worship God. That there's only the Ark of the Covenant that had, right, the presence of God with the Ark of the Covenant. And that only one man on one day could go into the Holy of Holies and pour the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb, on that mercy seat, right? And it was supposed to atone for an entire nation for an entire year. So we're going to learn some more about it this Wednesday. We're going to do some special things. But David, his tent of worship, he broke all the rules. Wait a second. David, it says that only one priest on one day. He goes, yeah, 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 I know. We're going to have all the priests stand in front of the Ark of the Covenant all at the same time. Can you, can you imagine if you were a priest? Wait, wait, wait a second, David. Do you know what happens to a priest that goes into the Holy of Holies in an unworthy manner? He drops dead. And you want me to stand in front of that on a day I'm not supposed to? Like, David, this is not a good idea. 
David, let me remind you, you were bringing the ark into Mount Zion, and there was a priest that like tried to help it from not falling over, and what happened? He died. And you want me to go sing out loud in front of this ark of the covenant? Not a good idea, David. But he was prophetic. There's so many things David saw on the other side of the cross. He's like, I'm not going to wait for the Messiah to come and to die. I'm going to bring it into my situation now. We're going to sing 24-7 in the presence of God. Oh, I love that. What if you and I became like David? We became prophetic. I'm not waiting for the millennial reign. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to bring heaven onto earth now. So prophetic. And I, I just, one last story. Uh, oh, man, okay. One last story. Then I'll have the worship team come up. I just was thinking about praise and testimony, the power of it. Just giving you another testimony in God's word. Who was the most evil, hated the church, terrorist alive back in the early church? Saul. And in the road to Damascus, Jesus speaks to him, right? He says, Saul, Saul. Why are you kicking against the goads? Have you ever read that? Like, what the heck is he talking about? Goads, right? Why? The, the prodding. As a horse, you prod a horse. You t- in which direction to go? And so he's telling Saul, Saul, you're being prodded, and you keep kicking against them and trying to go against your way, but it's not going to happen. What is he referring to? I believe it's from an encounter that Saul had earlier on. Stephen, the very first martyr, it says that Saul was there holding the coats of those who threw the stones, that Saul orchestrated, that Saul was in charge and responsible for Stephen's murder. But what did Stephen do? Why was he murdered? He was testifying to the goodness of God. And as they got angry and they came and they gathered around and began to throw stones at him, he just began to worship God. And he said, I see Jesus. I see him. He's just testifying of what he sees and the goodness of God. And I'm telling you, the most evil, vile man on the face of the planet, witnessing someone praise and worship God and give him testimony of his goodness, it shook him to the core. It began a process of the Holy Spirit goading Saul. You're in the wrong direction. It's time to change your life. I'm telling you, what if you and I became like a Stephen? That we didn't love our life to to the death. That we became like Revelation 12, 11. That we overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What if our lives were so filled with the testimonies of the goodness of God that the enemy had no chance? As the worship team comes on up, I just, I want to do what we do almost every Sunday. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? As I said, I think maybe the Holy Spirit can be saying several different things in this room. But I love that the Holy Spirit says that he's the seal of our salvation. And I'm praying that he's not only the seal of my salvation, but he's the seal of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That if I just heard something from God, Holy Spirit, seal it. Like, keep it in here. Don't let it come back out. So I'd love for you just to close your eyes and just ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? What does it look like for me to start remembering your goodness and mercy that have followed me all the days of my life. To recount like David did, how you defeated Goliath years ago. But he knew how to bring that testimony and bring it again into his life. God, is there something that I've forgotten that I need to remember? Maybe some of us 
are going through some pain and heartache. And like David, in the midst of wallowing his own sin, saying, I will bless the Lord at all times, even when I don't feel like it, even when I'm oppressed and I feel the curse and I feel distant from God. I, his blessing left a long time ago in my life. Yeah, but I'm going to praise him. I'm going to tell my own soul what to do. That he's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Ryan. He's the God of my life. And what he did for David and forgave him and restored to him the joy of his salvation, God, would you do it again in my life? Renew a right spirit within me. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. Or maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, start looking at your future different. Start looking at it prophetically. That God is on the move and he's up to good things. That David brought things way before his time. He brought them into his present day situation. There's supposed to be a billion soul harvest. Well, I'm getting in on it now. I'm not waiting for Sunday. That Sunday is here. So God, teach us. Teach us to be worshipers, to testify that the power of testimony would be alive and well in our lives. Hmm. I'm going to read to you. Go ahead and open your eyes. I'm going to read to you just one last 9-11 verse. It's not Psalm 9-11. It's Psalm 91-1. I'm calling it 9-11. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Why do you say, O Jacob, why do you say that God has disregarded your cause? If you just begin to spend time in His presence, he will renew your strength like the eagles. Just come under his wing. Come under the shadow of his wing. Abide with him. And he will renew your strength. You will walk and not grow weary. Run and not grow faint. It's time to get off the cruise ship and onto the battleship. Would you stay with me as we sing this last song? Make it a declaration. Make it a testimony. Make it a praise and worship, but also a testimony of what God is doing, that He is faithful to His promises. Amen? Let's sing. <laughs>